Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You know the maze of the city will get to know Again, we'd like to welcome you to City with a Soul. I'm Bishop Designate Brenda Wood. And our special guest tonight is Kelly Palmer. She is running for council member for City of Waco. And we'd like to welcome her this evening. And she's going to introduce herself. She's going to tell us a little bit about who she is, where she's from, and where she went to school, just to give us a little insight about what she's going to be doing if she is elected as a city council member. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you, Bishop, for inviting me today. You're welcome. I'm excited to sit down with you as a neighbor and as a community leader. Like you mentioned, my name is Kelly Palmer. I am a social worker and educator who has been in Waco since 2013. I come from a military family, so I say that I'm kind of from everywhere, but Waco okay. <laughs> stole my heart and became home. It's the longest I've lived anywhere, and I've been in and out of the city since for the past seven years. My dad is a doctor in the Air Force, and so we lived on the West Coast in elementary school, and then we were stationed on two military bases in Europe for middle school, or yeah, for middle school and high school. And then I came to a small private Christian school in Santa Barbara, California for my first two years of college Okay. and then decided that I really wanted to do social work and my school didn't have a program. So I transferred to a school, another small Christian school in outside of Boston and then landed in Waco to get my master's in social work from Baylor. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, are you living in the North Waco area now? So I've lived in uh, three neighborhoods in District 4 throughout my time here, but currently I live in Uptown Waco. So I live on Washington Avenue, just a few blocks from here. Okay. Okay. That's great. That's great. I am a resident, a longtime resident of North Waco. Um, I've kind of lived um, mostly in, we lived in Bellmead when we first moved here. Okay. And then to East Waco. Okay. Yeah. Um, then we lived in North Waco. Okay. Been in North Waco for 30 years. Wow. So North Waco is really dear to my heart. My children 
were raised here. Okay. Um, my young, my oldest son left North Waco to go to the military. Oh, okay. Which service is he in? He was um, Navy. Awesome. He's a, he's a Navy veteran. So I understand what you're talking about, about <laughs> being a part of a military family. But um, what we're here today to talk about is, what would you be doing in the North Waco area? Because the changes that have happened since I've been in North Waco mm-hmm. um, have been good. Mm-hmm. I've been there through the bad, mm-hmm. through the very, very bad, through the ugly. I've seen a lot of changes happen is Absolutely. what I'm saying. Absolutely. If you're elected council member, mm-hmm. what is your plan to progress the District 4 area for the community, for the families that live in North Waco? Absolutely. So as a social worker, my main orientation is that I believe um, each person is the expert of their experience. So even though I've lived in Sanger Heights and in Brookview and in Uptown, um, I know that to be a Wacoan means that there's a variety of experiences. And so my experience living in Uptown is different than your experience living in North Waco for 30 years. And so I really want to first start from a place of Uh, really trying to steward the stories of our district and listening to people. As I've gone canvassing, passing out door hangers, I've heard, particularly in North Waco, um, that a lot of folks, whether they are nonprofit leaders or church leaders um, or just community members, feel like North Waco is being left out of a lot of the city conversations. And so partly I want to be an, an advocate for District 4 for um, North Waco and to make sure that our residents and our neighbors and our nonprofits, all these entities that make District 4 so rich are really being listened to and heard at the city level. So whether that looks like getting more folks from uh, North Waco onto city boards and commissions, and so there's that voice being amplified there or uh, pushing city funding towards uh, North Waco, I think we've had a lot of focus understandably on downtown in the past several years. Yes. Yes. But how do we look at um, 25th Street Corridor, which is a predominantly Hispanic area, yes. and really nurture that community? How do we look at North Waco, which is a predominantly African-American community, and really nourish the businesses that are blossoming up there? I love seeing what's happening on the corner of Colcord and 15th with uh, Mission Waco right there, with Elados right there, the new coffee shop that's happening right there. How do we mm-hmm. preserve all of these different cultural um, corners within our community and really steward that in a way that I'm not sure has happened at the city level in the past five to 10 years. That's right. There's been a lot of focus on the downtown area. And mm-hmm. that made us as a homeowners and us as a people feel like nobody's looking at us and nobody's paying attention to us. Absolutely. What would you do as a council member to bring recreation and bring outlets for our people, for the for the African-American community, for the Hispanic community. Yeah. Because what, and I, I'm not a racist and I'm not being racial, but what's what's entertaining to um, to white people Absolutely. is not entertaining to us. Absolutely. We Absolutely. have no outlets. We have no no nothing for our for our children, for our young people. Absolutely. What would you do if you're elected? Because you you want us to vote for you. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think so District 4 is the most diverse district in the city of Waco, whether that's along socioeconomic lines, age lines, um, racial lines. And 
particularly for me as a white woman, I want to be really conscious conscious of um, how do I surround myself with folks whose lived experiences in Waco look different than mine. So for uh, my campaign, I have an advisory board of folks that have different intersecting identities, whether it's folks that uh, are DACA and don't have U.S. citizenship. I have friends that are Middle Eastern and friends that are black and friends that are Latina and Latinx that are all on this board that are kind of serving to help identify some of those blind spots. As far as recreation, I would be so curious to hear from you of what are some of those things that you think are really missing in North Waco or in District 4 at large that would be appealing um, to more of our black and Hispanic community members. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. That's for another time. But <laughs> yes, yeah, ma'am. We're, we're going to have to talk about that off of the podcast. Absolutely. Um, and I, I'm sure my listeners would want to know um, what are some of the things that um, you're going to be doing that the person who is in office now mm-hmm. is not doing? So one of my big things is housing, like you mentioned. Uh, The city of Waco currently for the past four years has spent less than 1% of our city budget on housing, which for me as a social worker is really surprising. The community meetings that I'm in with nonprofit leaders, there is constantly this talk of we don't have enough affordable housing for our clients. Uh, Property taxes are pushing people out of neighborhoods that they've been in generationally. We don't have enough emergency housing for vulnerable populations, whether that's human trafficking survivors or youth experiencing homelessness or domestic violence survivors, all of which we know exist in Waco and are right. dear residents. And so one of the areas I really want to push is to reallocate some of those funding in the budget that we already have towards addressing housing issues. We mm-hmm. have a, and for our current fiscal year, we have a $500 million budget, wow. um, which I think most residents aren't conscious of how not. The, the kind of money that we have at our disposal and really wanting to prioritize just those base needs of of humans. People need a yes. safe place to lay their head at night. Um, and so I'd love to see the city focus on that more aggressively. And we're also another another thing that's really big in the North Waco area is a lot of the houses are dilapidated mm-hmm. and people are living in houses in conditions where um, there might be windows broken mm-hmm. there. The fencing isn't. Mm-hmm. And we need assistance in those areas. Absolutely. What is your plan to help families that are that have been living in these homes that are generational mm-hmm. and they can't afford to say, well, I'll call up a fencing company or I'll call up somebody that does windows and, you know, take care of these problems. What are your plans to help those families that have been in those homes for years? Yeah. But they can't afford to have these things done. Absolutely. So I think one of the things that really excites me as a social worker is we are an evidence-based practice profession. And so we're not wanting to reinvent the wheel. So I've been looking at what other cities have done to kind of look at whether urban blight or looking at um, houses that are dilapidated. And some cities have um, like a facade improvement grant. So if a homeowner invests a certain amount of money, then the city will match it. Or you can say, this is um, we know that this is a lower income area and maybe these three blocks could benefit from having X number of hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars that can go for city assistance. So I think trying to find creative ways that we can yes. rebuild the city block by block, especially I think one promising um, area that I've seen is for homes that are owned by landlords that live outside of the community that are just letting their properties um, fall apart before our eyes, trying to put a tax or a fine on those uh, homeowners that aren't taking good care of their properties that have renters living in them. Yes. 
So I think it looks kind of different depending on whether it's a local that's living in a home that's owned by a local versus like a slumlord that lives in Nevada and hasn't come to Waco in 15 years. And I know for um, for myself and I'm sure for other residents in the area that um, since Magnolia and some of these other things have come to Waco, my property tax has tripled. I believe that. And it's, you know, when you're already struggling mm-hmm. to, to pay property taxes, mm-hmm. um, it's hard for a homeowner who's already having issues. Absolutely. And now these these things have come. Is there are is there going to be a plan to help the homeowners, you know, that are struggling with those taxes? Is, I, is there going to be something put in place if you're elected to help? And I know that, yeah. you know, like you said, you can't reinvent the wheel. I know you're not. You can't solve everything. Yes, absolutely. But is there something that's going to be done to help in in District 4, to help in our area that can ease some of the pressures that are on the minds of the people? I think that's such a pertinent question, particularly in 2020, as we've seen over 40 million Americans lose their jobs since this spring. I think those are questions that we as residents need to be asking our city council members. We need to be asking, um, even at the county level, that's setting some of these tax rates of how do we make sure that our residents are taken care of and that people aren't getting pushed out of our community because they can no longer afford to be here. One of the issues that I think intersects with this really um, cleanly is the fact that our housing costs and property taxes have risen so significantly since 2015, but our earned wages haven't. Our, That's right. Our wages have really stayed the same. And in District 4, 44% of our residents are making less than $25,000 a year. Exactly. That is well below the federal poverty line. That's well below um, the median income in the city of Waco, which lies closer to 38000 It's well below the national um, median income line. And so I think as we look at housing, we, we have to figure out well, where are people getting their income? And if it's not a livable wage, what do we need to do as a city to address um, the underemployment that we see in our city? Exactly. Exactly. Um, also, what can be done to expand our neighborhood and our community are with the face of the communities changing, Mm -hmm. what can be done to expand um, the things that, that are happening, you know, because we're the only thing that that's, that's really a given right now that we know is set in place is change. Mm -hmm. Nothing is the same. Absolutely. What can be done to expand the mindset of the people to let them know that our city council is really for us. Mm-hmm. What can be done to, cause, cause people are so unsure right now. We it, know good that reason. the yeah. only thing that we can, that we can believe in is change and mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. to let them know that, okay, we we're putting this person in office, mm-hmm. but can we really trust this person? I think those are such valid questions, particularly for an area like East Waco, and particularly for our black and brown residents that typically haven't been represented at the city level. I mean, right now, half of our city council are people of color and half are white. We have one woman that's sitting on our city council right now and five men. So I think part of it is an issue of representation of it's it's easier to trust someone that is a part of your community that looks like you. And so um, I think for me, looking 
like an outsider to District 4, I want to slowly build that trust in our community over time. And I think part of the ways you do that is by showing up and having conversations, whether that's going on a podcast or hosting a virtual town hall or going door to door so people actually know that you're a real person that's listening to them, that is tuned in. As I've talked to neighbors, uh, just going door to door, I have two opponents and they haven't talk to neighbors they haven't gone out and connected with people so I think that feels like a loss or of a disconnect um yeah I think I think there's a number of ways to look at how do we build trust with local governance to make sure that our uh, elected leaders are really looking out for all of their neighbors and not just for special interests whether that special interest is developers that special interest is Baylor that special interest is Magnolia um, Magnolia and Baylor are assets to our community, but they are absolutely not the entirety of our community. Yes, yes. So I think part of it is learning to tell better stories of Waco is incredibly diverse. Waco has this booming nonprofit network. Waco has a booming church network. Waco has a booming entrepreneurial and an arts network. And yet I feel like we're not really capturing all of those stories in ways that we could and spread good news in a year when we all need good news and a win. That's right. Um, if I had not looked up and I'm glad you said what you said about going door to door and letting people know who you are and that the other opponent has not done that. The other opponents haven't done that. Because if I had not looked up this person and saw who he was, because I have a friend, her husband okay. has the same name. Okay. If I had, because I was like, I didn't know that he was on the city council. Mm-hmm. And when I looked up his picture, I was like, this, this is not the, <laughs> this is not the same person. And because I was like, Phyllis didn't tell me oh that my her goodness. husband, you know, because and, and it's good to get out in the community mm-hmm. and let people know, you know, who you are, mm-hmm. because we can trust somebody that we can see, mm-hmm. that we can talk to mm-hmm. and who's not afraid to come to us mm-hmm. and we don't have to go to them. And I think that that's what we should expect of our politicians, yes. whether particularly locally. I mean, Waco, Waco is a big city. We I think we like to think of it as a small town, but District 4 has 25,000 residents. There are 11,000 eligible voters. So that's a lot of people for one person to attempt to talk to. It but, is. but I still think it's on the impetus of candidates and on the representatives to really meet meet their neighbors where they're at. That's right. What are your viewpoints on Black Lives Matter? Oh, I am a thousand percent here for Black Lives Matter. My husband and I um, have both have gone to multiple marches over the last several years. I have a calligraphy uh, or I had a calligraphy business for several years. And it's one of my ways of like connecting with the divine and with just practicing mindfulness. And so early this spring and summer when things were just exploding, I was calligraphying Black Lives Matter and chalk all over my neighborhood. And I was like, this feels like my little passive or my nonviolent act of art resistance in my mostly white neighborhood. In Waco, there are so many cultures Mm -hmm. um, and subcultures. We need to, as a people, come together and not vote. And I'm talking also to my viewers, my listeners. We need to come together and vote. Because if we don't vote, we don't have the right to criticize anyone Mm. who is in office. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't vote, you don't have a voice. You take that opinion away from yourself. So I'm saying to the listeners now, make sure you go out and cast your vote. vote. Because it's important that you vote. 
on the local as well as the national level. Absolutely. You've heard Ms. Palmer. You've heard her talk about what she in, intends to do for District 4. We want to make sure that as people in District 4 and every other district for that matter, go out and cast our votes. Let our voices be heard mm-hmm. through, our, through our ballots. She's not in this just to have a great name. <laughs> She's in this to exact change. He heard a young man on our podcast say, don't just talk about change, be the change. And it sounds to me that that's what, that's what Kelly Palmer is trying to do, to be the change. So North Waco residents, if you're really looking for someone, don't just take my word for it. Search yourself. Search your heart. And go to the polls and vote. Don't say it's not important. Mm -hmm. This has never been a more critical time in history than this election, state, local, Mm -hmm. and national, to cast your vote. May I add something there? So this is a really unusual election in that our local, state, and federal are all lined up. And normally the city of Waco really tries to have local elections be separate. And so for District 4, when folks are going to vote, they're voting for their city council member, for school board members, for mayor, for state senator, for their president. Almost everybody that represents you from Waco all the way up to Washington, D.C. is on that ballot. Um, And so this is absolutely the year to get out there starting October 13th. Um, Or if you are doing a mail-in ballot, if you were over the age of 65, or if you have a disability, or if you qualify in some other way, or November 3rd, but we're really trying to push folks as soon as early voting happens, October 13th. You want to be there, you can do curbside, you can do in person. Um, And we know that voter suppression is still alive and thriving in 2020 and in Waco. So if you see things as you go to the polls, if there's any sort of um, voter intimidation, those things need to be reported either to the local uh, police or the local NAACP, um, people that will listen and advocate to really protect this right that so many people lost their lives to. So that way women like you and I can cast our votes. That's right. And even be on this podcast. Yes, absolutely. This this election is so critical. Absolutely. And as she said, if you see any kind of voter intimidation, because I listened to the report this morning and they were talking about how that some people are going to be out there saying that they're here to make sure that you're not intimidated when really they're going to be the ones causing intimidation. Wow. Make sure you use your voice, your voice, your voice, and cast your vote. Mm -hmm. Once again, we want to thank Kelly Palmer for being our guest on City with the Soul. We're signing off. This is Bishop Brenda Wood Gordon. Have a great evening. Thank you.